When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing the hottest-breaking stories from the Camp Know. I'm Dan Hilton, joined alongside Frances Tomas, as always, for episode 59 of the Barcelona Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. If you've got an iPhone, please subscribe via iTunes. It's an Android, it's Google Play, and on Spotify on either device. Five stars is great, so you can also follow us on social media to get involved. On Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod or HiltonD13 for me, and on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. So basically, just type in the Barcelona Pod on Google, and all the different links, all the different web pages will show up. You can also read our work on Barca Blog. Frances, plenty of places for the listeners to get involved with us when we're not doing the podcast, but today it's just you and me again. It really is. And obviously the thousands of listeners that we've got every week. So um, thank you for for tuning in. Um, Today we've got a jam-packed show. We've got a Patreon question to start. Um, We thought it was such a great question that we're going to make the whole show around that, uh, which is basically how can Barca break down teams that come and park the bus? Um, we thought that it was such a great thing to talk about because we can break it down in different ways that our whole show is going to be devoted to that question, really. Um, after that, I had the pleasure of being joined by Noel Winchard, uh, who is one of the most influential voices on Barca Twitter, for a quick interview. He's from Holland, so expect lots of Johan Cruyff and Mitchells and, you know, lots of Holland legends being discussed. And after that, we've got La Ronda de Preguntas, which is a quick listener questions. The Barcelona Podcast 59 starts right here. And let's get it started with the Gran Pregunta from one of our Patreons, Frances Tony. And this is just the way we've taken his question. It was a much longer question, but we've boiled it down to 
how can Barcelona break defenses when other teams park the bus? And of course, this being inspired most likely by not only the recent four or five years of Barcelona against opponents farther down the table, but in particular the match against Alaves, where Alaves just sat back, all of their defenders behind the ball, and then they tried to break out on the counterattack. And in particular, Frances Tony asked about what is set up as an eight-man midfield, where they take four of the back line, and then a four midfield, and then they have their two to get out on the counterattack ahead, basically just playing that 4-4-2 very defensively. So Frances, it's a simple question, but also it's not a simple question, because the giants of the world, you look at England in the FA Cup, have been trying to figure out how to break down those tight-knit defenses, particularly of lower league opponents, for quite some time. Of course, and um, this is something that keeps coming back, you know. Um, every time Barca reinvent themselves, because we did that under Guardiola, then Luis Enrique added a different shade to the team, and that's what Valverde is trying to do now, and I think he's quite successfully done it. Um, but it always comes to a point in the season, and it seems to be around January, February, in which rivals just sit back and try and basically cover up all the attacking lines that we've got. Um, Valverde obviously started the season with a 4-3-3 formation, trying to get Messi uh, in a central position, having Suarez most of the time as a left winger, someone who could sort of move forward. Uh, that didn't work. Obviously, he's then tweaked it again, going for a 4-4-2, that can transition to a 4-2-3-1 at times. And yeah, I think the variations of, of the system is what's basically taking Barca forward and, and has still got, them, got us unbeaten in the league. But I think whatever formation you've got, what truly does matter is the purpose. And when I talk about purpose, I talk about being effective moving forward. Um, knowing what to do when you're in possession of the ball, which, let's face it, is going to be the majority of the, of the game when you're Barca. Also, not just trying to move forward with purpose when you've got the ball, but also dynamism when you don't have it. Uh, and I'm not necessarily as part of trans- talking as part of transition. It's players who don't have the ball. They need to be mobile enough in order to create spaces for others, to give different options and to make sure that the ball continues to flow, but then the players are also creating spaces themselves. And apart from that, you need to be able to interchange defensively. These transitions are incredibly important. Um, One of the Barca's key virtues this year, I'd say, is the ability to defend. The fact that Barca are now more comfortable when actually we're just going to sit back for a minute, you know, and that's the team's ability to read the game. If you've had possession for the vast majority of the time and the other team is just not letting you in, then sometimes actually you just give up possession for a little while so that then there are more spaces moving forward. And that is something that Barca is in the early stages of doing, but I think that that could be an option that um, could come back in the future and could be hugely effective as well. And um, last but certainly not least is defensive rigor is being able to understand that when you are defending, you need to be disciplined, you need to have that extra degree of collaboration, communication between your defenders, um, and obviously that that ability to know what your role is and not have slip-ups and not sort of go crazy moving forward like Piquet did, for example, against Alaves that ultimately cost us the goal. Um, so it, it's, it's a variation and a combination and a combination of all of that put together that could be effective moving forward. Surely, and look at how the game changed against Alaves when Jordi Alba and Sergio Roberto were put in. The counterattack stopped, and it starts with being on defense while on the attack. And what I mean by that is 
in the world of football today, fullbacks are so, so, so important. I'll get into this in a second. But when those two were put on the field, Barcelona was able to keep possession in Alavis' half of the field because that counterattacking space was never available. Where even when Barcelona were attacking, if Jordi Alba or Roberto make an overlapping run with Iniesta or Coutinho or whoever it was, Coutinho and Iniesta would then drop back into that space. So even if the ball is cleared by Alaves, Iniesta or Coutinho, or instead of that overlapping run happening, if Alba and Roberto were just staying in their spot and allowing Iniesta and Coutinho to be the farther ones forward on the wings, they're technically marking that two of the 4-4-2. They're marking the forward players. And so that ball that gets out on the counterattack never happens. And so you have those two center backs prepared and in the middle of the field as the farthest one backs. But that's where, for me, the fullback position is just showing in today's world of possession football, particularly when you have the Bayern Munichs, the Barcelonas of the world, and even Manchester City, what they're doing in the Premier League. I mean, look at the fullbacks and how important they prove to be. Even Man City over the summer spending 140 million euros bringing in Benjamin Mendy, Kyle Walker, and Danilo. So three players brought in for 140 million, and they all play the fullback positions. Bayern Munich have David Alaba and Joshua Kimmich, two guys who you'd say are probably top 15 in the world at that position. And then Real Madrid having won, of course, their back-to-back Champions Leagues with Marcelo and Danny Cavajal. Atletico's best came when Felipe Luis and Juan Fran were at the top of their game. And it just shows you that compete as one of the top teams in the world and really to break down teams that are choosing merely to defend. You need those fullbacks to not only be in the proper positions and help with the attack, but they also are important parts of retaining the ball. If anything, the most important parts of retaining the ball. So it comes with a lot of responsibility on the likes of, unfortunately, Lucas Digne, who didn't have his best game against Alaves, or even Nelson Semedo, who seems to have figured out the counterattacking breakdown part of that, where he has his speed, and defensively he's in the right spots, but he hasn't really figured out how to help with the attack so far and figured out where that space needs to be to combine well with whoever's on that right wing so far. Of course, and I think uh, one of the key elements of that is the ability to take risks as well. Um, there's a word in Spanish which is desparpajo, which is translated into English something like cheekiness, is having that confidence in your own game and in yourself as well to, to, to actually try new things. And I think that element of risk-taking is essential, especially if you want to unbalance games when you've got eight people, ten, ten people even, um, defending just within the last final third. And, you know, teams like that are really, really difficult to break down. I mean, going back in history, the, the, the game that always springs to mind is Inter, when we had to do La Remontada, the Camp Nou, that at the end of the day we just couldn't do. And then Mourinho started sort of running around the Camp Nou with um, Victor Valdez, <laughs> very rightfully trying to strangle him at the end. Um, but yeah, that, that's the game that always sort of comes back to my memories. Just, it doesn't matter how powerful you are in attack. There's always going to be a team that's going to park the bus in a way that you're not going to be able to break it down. And I've been really thinking very sort of deeply about this question and it's, it's how to break things down. I mean, it is clear that eternal passing sequences are not conducive to much more if that extra degree of eagerness is just not visible. You need to really know uh, what the purpose is and you need to keep going. Um, obviously, rushing passes is not advisable either, so you need to be basically pick your moments and know when, when to attack, know when you need to keep possession, um, whether you... One of the best things to do and most advisable things to do is to stretch the pitch. I mean, the Camp Nou, not just the stadium, but actually the pitch itself is, is enormous. 
And uh, I always remember Stoichkov particularly uh, when I was younger going to the Camp Nou and Stoichkov always started running from the wings, a lot of the time even from outside the line um, because he always said uh, that he wanted to make the pitch incredibly wide to keep defenders guessing. Um, obviously, the speed at which the ball moves is essential and that is something that really did cause pass against Alaves because the passing was sloppy and inaccurate and obviously the players weren't sort of as dynamic as they needed to be so that needs to be effective where possible one touch football instead of driving forward with the ball at your feet is, is obviously something that is going to help um that doesn't apply to your Messi because <laughs> that arguably opens spaces for others because when he's driving forward and he's attracting three players that's freeing our people and um if you think back uh, one of Messi's most lethal weapon, weapons this season, particularly when passing, is when he dings the ball over the defense. And that's simply because he attracts so many rivals that it's normally Jordi Alba who is freed uh, from the wing. Very clear and very effective as well to mix longer and shorter passes, to give rival defenses guessing. Um, in terms of Messi, don't overuse the Messi option because it's too obvious, you know. I mean, the guy is virtually unstoppable, but if when you're in trouble, you're always going to look for Messi, then it's very easy for others to guess that that's what you're going to do and you're not really helping. So basically the whole team needs to step up and when you do go to Messi, which is natural that players will eventually do, um, he needs to be in a freer position and uh, because the other players have stepped up enough to deserve to be, to be marked as well. Also, understanding that matches are 90 minutes, um, you don't always need to be in control of the game. You don't always need to be desperately pushing forward because if there's a slip of concentration, which we saw against Alaves, then the rival can hit you in the counter. So it's being able to read the game at the different stages. And if experience is anything to go by, Barca are far more effective in the second half this season. And it's simply because they continue to be ambitious and relentless throughout and the opponents seem to tire out in the first 45-50 minutes, and that's when Barca can definitely strike in the second half. And purpose really is the key to all that. You were talking about how Messi can bring those defenders, and so that kind of tells you different guys have different roles. And while the team as a whole needs to be passing incisively, they need to be changing up what they're doing and varying and giving the defense different looks, Messi, Coutinho, Iniesta, those are the three guys you'd expect to be dribbling at opponents and pulling defenders to them, multiple defenders, and then you find the players like a Sergio Roberto, who's one of the best, maybe in the entire world at this, in arriving late into the box on that right side and becoming the open man, and then that's where Luis Suarez becomes even more dangerous in the box. And then you take what Messi and Coutinho and Nesta do, and you combine that with a purposeful long shot attack, if you will, in that even Busquets we saw last week against Espanyol took a shot or two that was long from the box. And we had even mentioned on last week's podcast that he doesn't do that too often. So under Ernesto Valverde, guys like Rakitic, who has been taking a lot of long shots this year, and Paulinho, who's been scoring, not really from distance, who but who has been peppering the goalie and making opponents think about the fact that that could be an option that Barcelona have if you leave Rakitic, Paulinho, or Busquets open near the top of the box. And while the accuracy has not been there for Rakitic, the point is 
especially early on in the matches, when it seems like that's what the opponent's game plan is going to be in the first 10 minutes or so, letting an opponent see that you're willing to do that is going to make a defense, particularly the defensive midfielder on the other side of the field, think twice about leaving Rakitic or Paulinho open at the top of the box. And so just doing that with purpose, not just taking a long shot to take a long shot because that's what the game plan was, but to have purpose on it and to get a good laces shot, a hard shot, and make the defense change and adapt to what you're doing as opposed to trying to adapt to where the opponents are positioned. Another one that I just want to throw out there for you, Frances, and again, it's very un-Barcelona to think this way, but Barcelona may not be known for getting a lot of goals off corners. All, of course, of their set-piece goals comes off basically free kicks from Messi from just outside the box. But I think the addition of Yuri Mina most recently and his 6-5 frame, he's a player that Barcelona, I don't know when the last time they had a player that was even, I mean, PK is one of the tallest defenders in the league, but you wouldn't say that PK is a guy who has a gigantic vertical leap. He's good in the air. He does know how to score header goals. But again, he's not necessarily this, I'm trying to find a comparison, but he's not a, he's not a Robert Lewandowski who, yes, he might be a striker, but he's not one of these premier heading options in the box, even though, again, he is a good force up front for Barcelona when he comes up on corners. But yet, Mina is just a different player, and I think that might entice Barcelona to want to throw more balls into the mixer in that manner. And then against teams down the table, you'd have to say, it's probably a perfect opportunity for guys like Mina and Nelson Semedo on the right, who likes to use his pace to break up some of those counterattacks, to have games and to figure things out and to become integrated in the team because the only way that Nelson Semedo is ever going to figure more out is if he's given opportunities against teams like Alaves. And it's okay that he made mistakes. And same thing with Mina, where he's going to be playing against the bottom feeders of La Liga, who teams who are maybe desperate for a result, but Barcelona have much more quality than them. And so when teams park the bus like that, I think those are the times you're going to see Mina and throw him forward, throw him into the box. Leave him TD, who's also really good in the air. You can leave him back there, leave a pacey Semedo out of the box to defend the goal on a counterattack and just let the big man go up front and do what he can do. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think everything that we're saying, it's all about possibilities and options, isn't it? If you're trying X, whatever X may be, and that's not working, you need to have what we've always called a plan B. You know, I, I spent years uh, writing for ESPN on Barcelona.com about that, the Barca's plan B, and the fact that we just didn't have one. And, you know, for, um, I remember around the 2010-2011 season, um, I was writing about having a, a different striker up front, and Llorente at the time was an emerging tower, you know, and I always called him the, the angry lion at Athletic Bilbao, and I always thought that he would be a great option because he would add height to the striking position. Um, that the, that signing never happened, and, you know, obviously <laughs> the coaches seem to know better than me, but I thought that at the time that was something that was necessary. I don't really think that that applies to Barca right now because of the fact that, although he's not incredibly tall, Luis Suarez can do a lot of the job that I could foresee Llorente doing at the time. And I think that it's all about the different options. It's all about, as I was saying, the collaboration, the dynamism, the ability to find spaces, um, mixing long long shots with sort of shorter tappings a la Paulinho. Um, and, and having, yeah, having different possibilities that create danger and basically being relentless, being ambitious, because little details make the biggest difference. Another detail that will soon be added again is when Dembele hopefully comes back for the final time this coming month, that Dembele, when he gets acclimated as well, 
figures to be a different option where you looked at why Valverde wanted Delafeu, who's now on loan to Watford. The reason Valverde wanted a player like Delafeu in the squad was a guy who could get to the touchline and to continue to stretch, as you talked about. That's the theme here, is to stretch and use every single blade of grass at the Camp Nou and when you go on the road to use every bit of those fields as well. And Dembele is a player that could do that. He's a different player in the squad than any other that they have when he's fully fit and incorporated finally into the team. And so with all those different players doing different things, again, it all goes down to Valverde, doesn't it? It, it, It's on Valverde to figure out how to utilize the talents of his team best. And we're going to answer a lot of these in La Ronda in our Patreon show, but we'll get to it in La Ronda here too as well, that there's so many different players that do different things, particularly in Coutinho being added to the team and Dembele when fit, that how do you incorporate everybody together? Where even Busquets, he wasn't playing against Alaves, and he's the guy that when we're down one nothing, of course, Twitter goes crazy and says, what kind of nincompoop takes out Busquets from the lineup? You need Busquets in the lineup, but of course you have to rotate and figure out which players work better in certain formations and tandems, and that's why Verde gets paid the big bucks. Absolutely. It's, it's very easy to point out difficulties and point out other people's mistakes um, with the benefit of hindsight. But then again, you need to take risks. And as we are going to talk about in our Patreon show um, coming up soon, it's all about rotation. It's all about rest. It's all about being able to get to the decisive months of, say, April and May, being alive in every single competition and and having the freshest, best 11 possible. And and that can only happen via rotation. And Frances, we've been hinting around it do you just want to remind our listeners about that patreon show yeah 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 of course um we published our first bonus episode last week it was um all about why messi is a much better player this season when compared to the previous one um we had a lot of patrons signing up um to listen to that so i'm very grateful to everyone that did that um if you haven't yet the the episode is going to stay there so just sign up whenever whenever you can and um, this week, it's all going to be about how can Barca win the treble. We're not going to be talking about will Barca win the treble. It's how can Barca make that happen. And I don't really want to say too much more because all, all of that extra content, extra value is going to be added then. Um, so I'm, I'm basically just going to start stop talking. But um, if you want to access the extra content, it's tvpod.link forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you've got different reward levels. Uh, you've got the, from the 3 to the 5 to the 10 to even $20 if you want it um, in order to hear the different episodes. And there's different rewards coming up. So if that's something that you're interested in, then hit us up. So that'll bring us to La Entrevista, where Noel Winchart was our guest this week, Frances. And he spoke about, and of course you'll see he's from Holland, they spoke about the way that the orange have had their history intertwined with that of Barcelona, and it goes a little bit farther than just Johan Cruyff. And here's that interview now. Right, so as I said just a second ago, we are joined by Noel Wainchart. He is one of the most influential voices on Barca Twitter. Um, He's obviously from Amsterdam originally, and he's just now moved to Spain. Uh, Noel, how are you today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, great. I just uh, watched the game in a bar. Here in Valencia, where I just moved, and um, it was exciting, sovereign too. But uh, yeah, I'm happy we won. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm delighted as well as to how the game went. Um, I want to go a little bit on that. Um, why are you in in Spain these days? You're living in Valencia, I understand. Um, how has your life changed so much in the last four or five days? Yeah, it's um, I'm studying Spanish in the Netherlands, and uh, before the 
you know, the development of my language, it's uh, wise to go to a country in which they speak Spanish. And I first wanted to go to Barcelona, obviously, but um, they al almost give everything at the university in Catalan. And I don't speak that language, so that makes it difficult. So that's why I decided to go for Valencia. Same weather, um, comparable city in like tourism. Also, the, um, the club is also great. So, yeah, and it, it changed real big because in the Netherlands, I live at home and here and here on myself. So it's a big change, but I'm happy I did it. Definitely. I did something similar myself when I was 19. I went to live in Austria, in Vienna. And um, it was a life-changing experience, so I really do hope that it is the same for you. Uh, you are a Barca fan from the Netherlands. I mean, I know there are lots of listeners from there. And over the years, there's been a lot of admiration coming from Holland towards the Camp Nou. But um, is that where your passion comes from? Yeah, definitely. It's um, the link between Ajax, which is the club from Amsterdam, and has given great players to Barca and vice versa as well. Um, the link with Ajax and Barcelona has already always been made and it's how I became a fan too because my granddad was a fan of Barca and Ajax and he explained to me how it worked and the philosophy, Johan Cruyff, etc. So uh, yeah, the, the love is definitely from there. So what did your granddad actually say to you? Well, um, when I was a little boy, I watched football with him because I lived for a year in Suriname when I was four years, which is my original roots. Mm -hmm. I was born in the Netherlands, but I'm from Suriname. And he said to me, like, uh, you see, there are several ways to play football, um, because back then you also had the Italian way, like uh, the Catanacho. He explained everything to me, but he said that he prefers dominating, having the ball, um, giving players who aren't physically strong opportunities. And that is what Ajax, Barcelona, and also one of my clubs in England, Arsenal, stand for. So, yeah, I, uh, I am definitely influenced by that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, there wasn't much more pretty football coming out of, out of the Camp Nou uh, just an hour ago with the game against Alaves just finished. We did win 2-1, but that was, that was quite tricky. Um, what do you think of the game, though? Well, um, I talked with some people before the game today and we uh, we thought about uh, what we thought was going to happen and I said that Alaves could not be underestimated. They already won once in the Camp Nou, so they know how to do it. So I said that I expected Barca to win, but not like 4 or 5 nil. And, well, I think I was right because uh, there was, I think, one of the most suffering games of the season. It was, uh, yeah... We were lucky also because there were some moments in which they could even score more. But um, happy we did it. And I hope we don't have to suffer as much anymore in any other games in the Camp Nou this season. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Um, it was Coutinho's debut as a starter. What do you think of him? I think he's, he's doing great. He adjusted himself quickly than I anticipated he would. Because uh, his first game obviously was absurd how he came in and... For Iniesta, but you didn't really see any difference, which is a big compliment to him, how he, uh, how he fulfilled his role. And today, he started in a different role, a wide, maybe a bit less adapting than in, in midfield. But still, he did some great things, some skills. He could have scored with a bit of luck. I think the ball was cleared of the line or close from the line. And yeah, I uh, hope he gets more minutes and maybe some more in midfield. So uh, he could adapt even more and finally score his goal. I was a bit surprised that Coutinho was not played as a left winger or at least sort of 
more base to the left. He was starting on the right and whenever he got the ball, he was sort of drifting diagonally towards the center, which is something that I didn't expect. Um, and I think that was a result of the two starting fullbacks, that's Jordi Alba and Sergio Roberto, being left on the bench. Um, how did the game change in your eyes once Alba and Roberto both came on? Yeah, I'm glad that you say this because when I was watching the game, I was like infuriating with, with Dina because Iniesta con continuously was seeking his runs to pass. He, he did it a few times, but it went wrong. So I was saying, I hope that Valverde sees this and takes out Dina for Alba. And he did. And then that was when the game changed because, you know, Alba makes the runs continuously. He has that messy click. He has that Iniesta click. And we were having the ball like 80 to 70%. So we needed Alba. And with his runs and also Sergio Roberto from the other side, who had a big part in, I think, the first goal after the Iniesta cross. No, 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 not the first goal, the second goal with a run. And uh, yeah, I um, I think uh, it changed the game because we we got more width and more like penetration from the from the from the side because Semedo wasn't having a real great great game and Dinho was just bad if we're honest. He wasn't he wasn't too effective at all. I no, I have to agree with that. How highly do you rate Valverde because he's taken us unbeaten and it's nearly February now. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, at first um, I wanted I have to be honest when it was announced that Enrique would leave, I wanted San Paoli because of his pro file and I thought we needed that but at first Valverde started with a bit of defensive setup which brought us back to more possession based football but with less creativity but the last few months he showed that he could change games with his subs with several uh, formations and not lose our style and I think it's great because we don't have just one plan we have several and we showed it in several games too, like physical battles, like um, different type of goals, um, like with two strikers, three strikers. It's 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 great. I think he has been tested already a few times against big teams, and he even showed it then, like in the Bernabeu, for example. We first played in the first half and then improved hugely in the second one. So yeah, I think Valverde deserves a shout out. And I hope it continues like this. Que siga la fiesta, like they say in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> You've only been there four days. You already know that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I study it. So I know a great um, deal of, of Spanish words. But talking it is at times a bit different, uh, difficult. So, But I, I manage myself. It's fine. <laughs> que siga la fiesta, of course, of course. Um, talking about parties then... Um, I know obviously you're from Holland and um, Cruyff was the most influential figure in Barca's history and you sort of touched on that at the start. Um, I just wanted to sort of go a little bit deeper on this. What do you think Cruyff's legacy is at Barca and as someone from the Netherlands, how do you feel about that? Well, I think what I always say that Cruyff is the most influential person in football. Without his vision, without his his tactics, without his successes and really braveness, how he how he used players, how he changed Barca with his, with their philosophy, football wouldn't have been the same. For example, um, you had his football. That Before that, you had the Dutch team with a total football squad with Rinus Michels, who deserves a shout-out too. And after that, you had several Barca uh, levels. You had um, like um, Bayern, 
with their with their Jupp Heynckes football, which was a bit more physical, but also like on, based on total football and having the ball possession. Uh, you have the Netherlands who always like to play in that way. You have Ajax. So many teams profited of their way. Even the German squad in 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 uh, where was it? Brazil. They also played played position football and won the World Cup with it. Spain as well in 2010. There are so many examples. And yeah, as a Dutchman, as and mostly an Ajax fan, that makes me super proud. Johan Cruyff is uh, the legend. I always say it. And um, we have to be happy that he uh, he came to our club and changed football in general. Absolutely. And and when you say our club, I'm sure you're talking about Ajax and also Barca, which I've never spoken to anyone that has both those clubs in their heart, which is great. Now, Holland has traditionally been a source of football and talent. And Barca, especially in the early 2000s, they had a lot of players... Um, I'm not going to say any names, I'm sure you're going to mention them as well. But um, why do you think Barca have stopped signing players from Holland? Well, um, at first, I think the last one was Averlei from PSV. And he didn't really settle in. I, uh, I think he wasn't bad and he also had bad luck with his injury. But after that, I have to be honest, there weren't really any players who could be of this level of Barcelona. Suarez was an Ajax player, so... Technically, we have one. And Farmalo also, by the way. So we have two even. But um, directly, it's difficult because the Dutch league has degraded heavily. Some of them, some of those years, we didn't even have a club in the Champions League. Um, maybe pay, pay PSV only the last years. Ajax haven't played for several years in the Champions League. They haven't become champions for several years. And they almost do it with like 18, 19, 20, year, 20 years old, which are great talents, but they have to develop themselves before they could get to Barcelona. However, Matthijs de Ligt and Frankie de Jong are two guys who should uh, be kept in mind because if you see how they play with the profile they have, with the braveness they possess, they already get the style. They just need the experience. And when they have it, Barca should be on the front line to get them. So what would they add to Barca then? Well, uh, Matthijs de Ligt is comparable to how Piquet plays. Um, he has his tall, he is brave, he always wants to play forward. He can also like do a turn when a defender press, presses him. He is tall, he is strong in the air. Um, and he is still young. Like, I don't know if you watched the European campaign from Ajax last year, but he played against strikers like Lacazette and he had um, opponents like Schalke Nofier, and he was like maybe the best on the pitch. He he showed real braveness, and back then he was only 17. So this year he shows he did, he can do it on himself as well. Because last year he had Davidson Sanchez next to him, also a prospect from Barca, and he was like the second defender. Davidson Sanchez was the like the controller who showed everything and won all the duels, and Matthijs just had to do his job. But this year he is the leader, so he's showing compu- compu- composure. Excuse me, and I think he's ready. And about Frankie de Jong, well, uh, he's just incredible. There isn't a player in the Dutch league who has as much vision and as much drive to play forward. Right now he's playing as central back because of the depth we have in midfield at Ajax. But you can see he's a midfielder because every pass, literally every pass he gives, is with risk. And at times it's, it's, it's dumb, you would think. But if you see how he creates chances especially against bigger teams. He creates those gaps with his runs of him and his passes. He he definitely could f- add something to us in like maybe two to three years, no that, doubt. That sounds encouraging. That sounds encouraging. I really do hope they continue to develop. 
Where can our listeners follow your work online? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter, of course. My name Noel Reinshardt with the ad for it, of course, and also on 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 um, Instagram, which is the same name. And yeah, there they can find him. We can just have a good talk. And I'm always in for interaction. So let's do this. Absolutely. We're going to have um, all your details as well in the show notes. So listeners, if you want to connect with Noel, just tap on your app now and just search him and follow him because really it's very interesting, very interactive as well and always making time for the listeners. Noel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Man, Frances, that is certainly something that I don't think you and I on this podcast have a forum to get into where Barcelona have such a storied history with those players from the Netherlands. And it really has been a shame to see, as they won't even be at the World Cup, it's been a shame to see them struggle in the ways they have. But again, it shows you what happens when national programs don't adapt. And as I said, I'd love to, on future episodes that I mentioned in the past, get into while Barcelona really does integrate Catalan identity and what it means to be in Catalonia, the Swiss influences at the start of the club, the Hungarian influences throughout the 50s and 60s, and then you see, of course, the Dutch influence in the late 90s and early 2000s, and currently you see the Brazilian influences that have come into Barcelona as well, the squad, I mean. And it's just been so interesting to see how those different identities and how different countries have different identities for players and how those are all integrated into what Barcelona is and what makes them who they are. So, Frances, for those kind of things, again, we'd love to potentially, not during the season because we don't have the time, but maybe during this next offseason over the summer, we'll get into some of those things as the World Cup goes on and we have plenty of international soccer, which I know you love so, so much to talk about. So maybe we'll get into some of those deeper questions to ask and we'll also try to use our fingers put it up on barcelona.com when again we're inspired for some of those much much longer pieces that take a lot more research and a lot more time well a nice transition to la ronda frances while we don't have a leading dutch player other than jasper sillison in net he is our resident dutch first teamer we do have a pretty good player from the netherlands that she plays for the barca femini how about that transition frances that is impressive. I'm so proud of you, man. You're the best transition maker in the world. Okay, that's a little patronizing, but <laughs> the Barcelona Femini were not patronizing in their match this week. A 3-0 win over an Albaceta squad that puts the ladies atop the table at 46 points as Atletico Madrid had a draw this week, and that gives them a two-point cushion. Of course, the goals by the aforementioned Leke Martins, Tony Dugan, of course, and Patricia Guyaro. And it looks like the Femini are clicking at the right time, and I hope they get the attention they deserve because they are the top team right now in the Spanish women's division or the Premier Division. And again, they're clicking on all cylinders. And for once, while the Femini are doing well, Barcelona B have turned things around as well as they won 3-1 Again, Tenerife last week, and then a 3 nothing win over Granada this week, have them out of the relegation zone. Hurrah! In 18th place, they're tied with 19th place Almeria with 27 points, but ahead on goal differential. Next up, they face Cordoba, who is sitting firmly in the drop zone, and then Alcacorn after that, who's just ahead of them. So this is the perfect time, Frances, for them to make a push up the table. They're 18th, but they only are four points away from being 11th. That tells you how tight the Segunda Division is, or the Segunda Division A, if you will. The next step, though, Frances, will be incorporating all of the new recruits, including Christian Rivera, who's on loan from Ibar, who's now playing as the defensive midfielder, as Oro Busquets has been out with a hamstring injury, so we'll see how those two are potentially integrated together. Or maybe Busquets has now lost his spot, which again will infuriate 
fans of hoping that the academy, and that's all of us, hoping that academy prospects can make good on all that promise through the years. And also, Belou Jean Ives Tabla, who I talked about on Twitter from the Montreal Impact here in North America. He was also signed for the B team, and we'll see if he either is registered to play this season or and see again, he's a dynamic winger. We'll see how he fits on the wing as well. Absolutely. The only thing I want to add in there is that traditionally, and again, if experience is anything to go by, traditionally Barca B gets stronger in the second half of the season simply because the players, um, they're so young and they're sort of so individualistic in a way. And I know that's not the La Masia way, but then again, if you want to survive in the system, you need to love yourself first sometimes. And uh, I think that by the time the second round of games around, say, January, February comes, players begin to gel, begin to understand each other, and if there is a common goal they need to fight for, e.g. not being relegated, that normally is that spurred them on. And also having new signings would, would have spurred the whole of the internal competition, and that can only be a positive. So um, I do expect them to um, stay in the second division this this year, and so they can be there in the next. So let's go with our two La Ronda questions today. Of course, the rest of the questions and all the questions were asked this week of La Ronda are over in our Patreon show. Anyway, Kule asks, or Kule for life on Twitter, do you think Coutinho will be playing on the left or right more? Seems better and more comfortable on the left. Him and Iniesta could start together quite a bit, question mark. I also feel Roberto would help Coutinho's game playing at right back over Semedo. And then, of course, he asked, what is Valverde's main starting 11 right now? Okay, um, two questions in there. I would say Coutinho, because of his quality, can play anywhere. I think the match against Espanyol, when he played the last, I think it was 20, 30 minutes, um, he was fantastic. Uh, he came on for Iniesta as a left midfielder, but someone with freedom to move forward. And then in his style, where he got him against Alaves, he basically looked a little bit out of position. He started on the right, but then he kept drifting towards the middle. And yeah, I would say his ideal position based on that and based on obviously the years that I've seen in Liverpool seems to be starting from the left. But then again, if you do that, then you cannot really play Iniesta. I would say when you play them both together and again, we've only got ultimately 90 or 100 minutes to base this on. Um, they seem to be running into each other's spaces. So I would think at this moment in time, it's either one or the other. Um, but to be honest, I'm not really worried because as I said in the podcast before, I think it's all about having more than 11 starters. And I think right now we've got 16 starters. When Dembele comes back, it's probably going to be 17. So I think it's a difficult puzzle for Valverde to solve, but I've got every confidence in the coach to um, to take the right decision. Yeah, I would even say that this is one thing, a work in progress, as we've talked about. The theme is that it all comes down to when it's time to win those finals, whether it's a Copa del Rey or La Liga. La Liga, of course, is more of a grind, but the Champions League, when it comes to those big matches where you need your best starting 11, this is still a work in progress in terms of the squad rotation and where players fit. And so for Coutinho, yes, he had some difficulty and he usually is on the left, but he's going to have to take some time to get used to what his role is and where he fits on the team. And maybe he can adapt. And I think the same goes for Dembele when he comes back. I mean, Dembele still has only played a three weeks worth of matches for Barcelona. So to fit him and Coutinho and even Mina, and again, what he could potentially add on set pieces to integrate all those new talents and all the things that they do, just give everybody a little bit of time. I think this squad is, as we've talked about, far, far, far from finished. And now we're at a point where you're about, hopefully, again, Barcelona can get through Chelsea and continue to navigate the Champions League. 
And let's say the Champions League final, Barca can make that at the end of May. You're five months out from what Barcelona ultimately want to be. At their top, top level, you're five months away from that. And I think that's a lot of time still to work through all those different things. I think given Barca's record this season, I don't think we should adapt our system to accommodate Coutinho or Dembélé. They need to adapt their game in order to fit into the team. Because let's face it, it's gone pretty well so far. And although Alberto can start tweaking things over for them both, I think it's up to them to to make the first step. I mean, thinking back about when Cesc Fabregas came to Barca, um, Guardiola really did try to put him in the team, but ultimately that really backfired because Fabregas was not very good at all and the team lost its identity in a way and, and trying in a way trying too hard to please just the one player. So I think as expensive as they have been, they need to adapt to what's here already. Yeah, certainly. And you look that Messi's bought into the way Valverde has been doing it. And if Lionel Messi buys in, then I think any player in the world could buy in. It's as simple as that, where they lead by example. Iniesta says, yep, I'm okay with playing a little bit out wider than I was when Luis Enrique was here. And I'm okay with that. And if Iniesta can do it, then anybody can do it. Yep, agreed. Second question and final question of the day, one Radin asked. Now, he got two questions out of us as well. So we got plenty of questions being asked at the same time. Not worried about Dembele making a comeback physically, but since he won't be back until the end of February, will he be incorporated in enough time for crunch time for the Champions League? And the second one, is Messi clearly the greatest of all time, but is Ronaldinho more important to Barcelona historically? And that goes off what our discussion about Ronaldinho last week that was pretty good, so you can go back and listen to episode 58 on that. So to answer the first question, I think Dembele will not be fully incorporated because I think it comes down really too physically and how he can be integrated into the squad. Where I, Not to say that Barcelona don't need him in their starting 11, but it seems like Valverde's starting 11 goes away from what he at this moment can add to Barcelona. Where, again, we'll see the team shift next season, but I think for Dembele right now, he might not necessarily even be in that top starting 11. And he is certainly, if he's fit enough to come off the bench for the last 30 minutes one of the most dynamic players the world game has. We're talking about breaking down defenses and when teams park the bus. Well, Chelsea, I think back to the year that they won the Champions League, they parked the bus and it succeeded against Barcelona. And if Dembele is the kind of player that can honestly get to the touchline and do things that other players on Barcelona can't do, he could be an important player coming off the bench and adding something different when legs get tired for the opposition. I agree. I agree on Dembele. Um, moving on to the second question, I think that no one in the history of Barca has been more influential than Messi. Um, he's got pretty much every record, apart from appearances, that's still Xavi Hernández. But again, I think that's a matter of time. Um, he's got pretty much every record for goal scoring, um, goals in La Liga, in Champions League. I think he's up there in terms of assists as well. I think in terms of appearances, he's also in the top five. So when you're talking a player that has made a difference for Barca... It's Lionel Messi. I was thinking the other day, like the day that Messi retired, would it be, would it be horrendous or would it be sort of out of everyone's mind to rename the Camp Nou Lionel Messi Stadium? I don't think many people could disagree with that because was he's given the team and the club and the people of Catalonia, Barcelona, um, Spain, you know, the whole world. It is remarkable. It's something that we have never seen before and probably will never see again. I mean, the way that he carries the team forward, like when we really desperately need him, he's always there. That free kick against Alaves that, you know, of course, it's Alaves. He's not the best team in the world, but 
they put us in a situation in which that could have been a really ugly loss that could have generated a loss of faith and, and confidence moving forward. And he always steps up. And I think the most influential player is definitely Messi. Obviously, without Ronaldinho's influence, Messi may not have been as good. But I think Messi's influence is above head and shoulders above everybody else's. Yeah, I agree. Because he's still playing, I think we forget how important and how the world game, and not just Messi, but even Cristiano Ronaldo, the world, we've talked about this before, the world has changed since these two laced up their boots and started doing things across the European continent. These are two guys that when in future La Liga seasons, you look at how many goals the the top golden boot winner in La Liga was able to score that year. It's not going to pale in comparison to each and every year that these guys are the ones to be the top scorers in La Liga. They're just doing things that no one ever will again. And again, for Messi, of course, he looked up to Ronaldinho, but just as a player, he's done greater things. But as far as taking Barcelona from a team where, if, if let's say Ronaldinho is the best player ever to play for Barcelona, it, this is, again, a hypothetical situation. Let's say Messi just wound up being an above-average player or a starting 11 player, or let's say he played more of a Pedro role and Messi didn't become who he would become. Ronaldinho would be the best player on a team that, could win a few Champions Leagues or could be one of the top teams in the world year in and year out. And I think this is the way Barcelona is going to be when Messi leaves. But with Messi in your squad, you're possibly the best team in the world every single season. And it's almost without question that Barcelona has been a top three or four squad. You look at how many Champions League semifinals they've made consecutively now. With Messi in your squad, you're a top team in the world, guaranteed. I agree with you. Yeah, I guess we have no much more to say on that. And that'll wrap up another edition of the Barcelona Podcast. We're going to hodge breaking story from Camp No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.